My Car Guru, Season 12, Episode 2. Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of My Car Guru. It is the third day of January, and I am still on track with my New Year's resolutions. I am doing 30 minutes a day on the elliptical, and I am doing 15 minutes of, of strength training. I know, 15 minutes doesn't sound like much. But I've got to start somewhere. I haven't done anything as far as strength in a long time, and I need to strengthen my core, according to my brother, whatever my core is. He's a doctor. You know, he knows what that means. He says, do more sit-ups and crunches and stuff like that. So anyway, getting prepared for my new hip that I get on January the 30th. So I'm working to be ready for that. You know, it's so important to prepare. You know, we've been doing a lot of preparation for 2024 in our business, trying to figure out what are we going to do differently? What do we need to do differently? What do we need to do exactly the same? Because 2023 was really a pretty good year. Uh, every department in the dealership and in most dealerships has done well this past year, but the market definitely changed. And I'm going to talk about some of those changes uh, industry-wide changes, not just things that happened to me at Gateway Ford and Gateway Nissan, but things that have happened to the industry that in turn affects car buyers everywhere, not just here, maybe even in Europe. But who cares about them? Okay, so one of the biggest changes that we're seeing right now, uh, really it's been developing over the last three to four months, inventory is back. Yes, there. Are, you if you go shopping, if you go to a dealership, you're going to find a selection, whereas you haven't seen that in the past two years or so. So that's a good thing. Uh, the microchip shortage that began in 2021 is easing, and so inventory is bouncing back. Uh, U.S. inventory or U.S. sales of inventory surged 14% in the first nine months of the year, and that was despite the higher interest rates that we were facing. So we're going to talk about interest rates, too, and see what, where they have gone. Some of the biggest stories of 2023, other than inventory, included the uh, UAW strike. And, you know, they did something different. They, instead of striking one of the automakers, they struck all three at the same time, and they rolled it out in stages. They didn't strike every plant, but they struck strategically and picked certain high-producing plants for each manufacturer and just kept ratcheting up the heat. I don't really care for this new UAW president, Sean Fain. Maybe I don't care for him because he was so effective and it cut off a lot of supply of inventory that we needed. But they're building it quickly back now, and so the inventories are, are definitely recovering. But the UAW strike was a big deal. The new contracts include $40 billion in manufacturing investment and are expected to raise labor costs for the automakers by anywhere from $500 to $900 per vehicle. Are you happy about that? Workers get raises totaling 25% over the next four and a half years and the re uh, return of some benefits that they had to give up in the past several decades. You know, back at the big recession that we had in 2008, 2009, uh, they had to give up a lot for the automakers to be able to survive that. So they're bringing it all back and it's helping the, the workers, that's for sure. Another thing that it did, is that the uh, there was a ripple effect of the contracts 
at Toyota, Honda, Volkswagen, Hyundai, Tesla, any of the non-union automakers quickly responded because they were afraid that they would lose workers. They also were afraid, <clears throat> excuse me, of the UAW coming in and doing a um, unionization effort at their plants. That would be their worst nightmare. So they just de- decided to take a preemptive strike at the UAW by going ahead and raising everybody's wages and treating their workers nice and fairly with good benefits. I guess that should happen all the time. But the UAW led the way to everybody getting a raise, except you and me. So what happens now? It's it will, it's yet to uh, reveal itself, but we'll see. Uh, there has definitely been an EV pullback. Uh, demand for EVs continued to climb, but at a much slower pace than many of the automakers had expected. And that prompted GM and Ford Motor Company and others to postpone or scale back investments in uh, plants and technology and so forth. Nearly 4,000 dealerships wrote to President Joe Biden urging him to slow down on federal EV mandates. You know, these mandates were designed to basically change your buying habits. And most consumers don't like that. They they want to make their own choices. They want to decide whether they want an EV or an, a, you know, a hybrid or a gasoline-powered vehicle. Well, the government was trying to take that away from you by mandating that if you lived in a certain state, you were going to drive EVs if you are going to drive at all. Or you're going to buy an EV if you're going to buy a new vehicle. And it didn't work to go out of state to buy something because they wouldn't let you register it in their state. So that has uh, not pulled back any. California is still on track. A lot of the other states who adopted California's strict standards of pollution are going along with that. There's a number of states in the Northeast that are nobody in the South, thank goodness. Also, they changed the game on EV tax credits. You know, there were several companies, once you hit 250,000 units, uh, you didn't get any more, or your, the people who bought your vehicles were no longer eligible for EV tax credits. Well, Tesla complained about that, so they cut Tesla some slack and gave them a, a few more hundred thousand units to, to be able to sell before the tax credits ended. But a couple of other things that they've done is they've limited the uh, price of a vehicle that will be eligible for the tax credit. So if you go out and buy a vehicle that has an MSRP of over $80,000, like a lot of these trucks and uh, some SUVs uh, will, will go over that, then you don't qualify for any EV credits. That's $7,500 on trucks and $3,750 on cars. Now, the good thing that they've done is that if you go buy an EV that does qualify for the tax credits, and you buy it in 2024, the dealership is going to be able to give you credit for that up front, just like a rebate, except it's going to be, well, no, it's the same as a rebate. It'll be taxable. In other words, it'll be just like you paying down payment, but the government is going to let you take that $7,500 tax credit and apply it towards the purchase of your new EV, and you don't have to wait until you file your tax return to get a tax credit. Because what they were finding is that people who, you know, didn't pay taxes, which is a lot of people, uh, that they didn't qualify to get any type of tax incentive because you have to have taxable income and owe a tax in order to be able to get a tax credit. Does that make sense? 
So they're just giving it to everybody who buys an EV as long as it's under 80000 and as long as the uh, household income is less than, I think it's $300,000. So most people will qualify for that. Will that stimulate demand for EVs? I don't think so. I really don't. I just, I think it's too much of a lifestyle change. Now, at the end of the year, we did something interesting at Gateway. I had, I think, eight EVs in stock, which was too many based on our sales. And I said, okay, well, what can we do? Let's incentivize our employees to lease these things. Because as as you know, I don't recommend people buy EVs. I recommend that they lease them because the technology is going to change real fast. We don't know what's going to happen to the values of, you know, a three-year-old 50,000-mile EV. So just be safe. Put that burden on the manufacturer and lease it. And so I offered that a special deal to my employees. I would give them, I'm not going to tell you how much, but I was going to give them a, a car allowance to help them pay if they bought one of our EVs. We sold four to our own employees. They were really excited. You know, come to find out, several of our, of our employees were really excited about EVs. And they weren't our older employees. No, it's the young guys and young girls that were excited. So we did that, and uh, so we, we have fewer EVs in stock. So not only is the government having to subsidize people to buy EVs, so am I. Okay, so there was an accident. This is another trend that's been going on, the self-driving car. Now, I don't have faith in the self-driving car. My F-150 that I was driving has something called Blue Cruise, and it would drive itself on certain roads, not all roads, but on the interstate. When I got on Interstate 81 or 40 or 75, I could turn it on, set my speed, and take my hands off the steering wheel. Still had to pay attention. Well, there's this company called Cruise that that uh, General Motors had invested in. And they were trying to basically had the car completely drive itself. And California, who is, you know, they try to be cutting edge on everything. They had given Cruise, and that's the name of a company, uh, permits to operate autonomous vehicles in California. Until... A pedestrian was injured in San Francisco, and they pulled the plug on it quickly. Uh, they were, as I said, a GM subsidiary, and they were forced to dramatically backtrack on their ambitious expansion plans to, uh, you know, have driverless vehicles. Uh, they had to lay off a bunch of people. Twenty-four percent of Cruise's employees had to hit the road because of this one accident. And I think that it's that's I'm, it's unfortunate that there was an accident, but it's a good thing because we don't need our cars driving for us. Another big thing that we're watching pretty closely is a Amazon Hyundai partnership to sell new vehicles through its website. Now, this was a major development in the evolution of automotive retail. Uh, whether the deal represents progress or a problem for dealers, it's really hard to say. But the last thing car dealers want is for people to be able to buy cars through Amazon. Why? because we want to survive. It's selfish, I know. Okay, I'm going to take my first break. I'll be back here in just a minute. No, I don't want Amazon selling cars, because I'm afraid my wife, as much as she uses Amazon, I'm afraid we'll, I'll look out one day and there'll be a Buick sitting in the driveway. Hopefully not. She's got more, a lot more sense than that. I'm just joking, of course. Okay, let's look at what happened in uh, financing in the automotive market. It's really interesting to see how prices have gone up. 
2021, the average amount financed for a car was $37,845. In 2023, it jumped to $40,184, while interest rates went from 4.09% for the average loan in 2021 to 7.03. There were a lot of people that have been buying cars lately that would love to have a 7% rate. Some of the banks are still charging 8 to 9% and credit unions as well. So a lot of that depends on your credit, but this was uh, just an average nationwide. The average monthly payment went from $617 to $726. You know, it just doesn't seem that long ago that you can sell a car if the payment was over $250 a month. And then that magic number became $400 a month. And certainly that's, that's a difficult thing to do, especially since there are very few cars that are available for sale under $20,000. And when you do the math, even if you stretch out to 84 months, that doesn't work. But thankfully, the average term in months for new car loans has not really increased. Matter of fact, it's gone down. 2021, the average term was 69.49 months, and now it's 68.26. So that's good. I mean, when you put somebody in a car for 84 months or 120 months, I mean, they're 120 months, 10-year car loans. Uh, You know, thankfully, cars will last a lot longer than they used to. You could have never done that with a 1979 Chevrolet Impala. It wouldn't have lasted. The note would have lasted a whole lot longer. 84 months is uh, pretty common right now for a lot of folks, but I certainly don't recommend it. You know, pay enough money down or save enough money so you can pay at least 15% down on a car purchase. I mean, if you can't pay that much down, uh, you're financing too much, and if you decide you want to trade and three or four years, you won't be able to because you'll have no equity. And if you that's if you finance it for 60 months. And if you finance it for 84, then you know you're it's hopeless. So you better really like the car. That's my advice. Now because of the low interest rates that are offered by the captives, when I say captives, I'm talking about uh, <clears throat> like uh, General Motors Financial, Ford Motor Credit, Toyota Motor Credit, Nissan Motor Credit. They are affiliated, really owned by the different manufacturers. And when they offer special financing rates, those are called subvened or subvented interest rates. So one of the reasons they have a that their share basically of overall new vehicle financing has increased so much is because they've offered lower rates to stimulate car buyers. And uh, the banks have just pretty much been limited, banks and credit unions, by what they pay on deposits, you know, what interest, uh, what kind of rate of interest do they have to pay on deposit, and then they just have to look at their desired net interest margin. And in order for them to make money, that determines what they have to charge for car loans. So that's why it's gotten out of whack. But uh, the captives have about 60% of the market right now. Uh, Let's see, credit unions have about 13%. Now, around here, in East Tennessee, credit unions probably have 45%. Uh, regular banks, 22.21 nationwide. I said credit unions nationwide are 13.18. And uh, finance companies, those are that's where people go with, with marginal credit when they, they just can't get loans from, from the captives or the banks. That amounts to about 4.72%. Now, I do recommend still that you, that you look at leasing, not just on EVs, but on 
just about everything except full-size trucks, full-size SUVs, the leasing plans for them are not good. But on small cars, like passenger cars, like Honda Accords and Civics and Nissan Sentras and uh, Altimas, Toyotas, uh, Toyota Camrys and uh, cars like that, they have really aggressive lease plans because the cars don't depreciate very much and the manufacturers feel pretty good about offering those. Now, uh, nationwide, the percentage of vehicles with financing on new vehicles is about 80%, 79.09. And the percent of vehicles that are leased, new vehicles, are 21.29%. It's not near that around here in East Tennessee and really in the Southeast. Uh, More people lease cars in larger metro areas and in the Northeast and on the Pacific Coast. I don't know what they know that we don't know. Maybe they just, you know, want to lock in a good uh, payment for a certain period of time and then be able to move on to something new. But that's where most of the leasing is taking place, not around here. But I would get a, a quote on lease when I get a purchase quote. Again, just make sure that they don't jack around with the uh, capitalized cost. That's the same thing as the sale price on a finance purchase. They just call it something different, I guess, to confuse people. But it's called the capitalized cost. You know, with a lease, you know, you're not leasing the vehicle from um, from the manufacturer. You're leasing it from a leasing company, which may be affiliated with the manufacturer. But uh, your name doesn't go on the title. The leasing company's name goes on the title. So you don't own it unless uh, at the end of the lease you decide to exercise your your option to purchase the vehicle for the residual value. Just make sure if you do consider buying it at the end of the lease, if you think that's a possibility, then you need to do the math and see if you finance the vehicle and the payment is a little bit higher, um, you know, what are you going to owe in that vehicle in three years when the lease is up or when the lease would have been up? Uh, and compare that to what you can buy it for at the end of the lease and how much money you have put into it up to that point. You just have to kind of do what we call an A-B comparison. Add all the numbers up for the purchase, add all the numbers up for the lease. And it's still a guessing game. The good thing about leasing is if values go down dramatically, you have no risk involved in that vehicle. You just hand them the keys back as long as it's in decent condition. If values go up, or you know, you're at least at a break-even point, it may not be a bad idea for you to go ahead and buy the vehicle out as long as interest rates are good, as long as it's a good car, if you can buy an extended warranty you know that, that would cover it for the next three to four years. You know, Those are the kind of questions that a lot of people don't know to ask. That's why you have a car guru that you can ask. Call me, 423-552-2020. Run by me a scenario. I mean, I love, I've got plenty of experience analyzing these types of scenarios for car buyers. And I'll be glad to do it for you for nothing. Just call me, 423-552-2020, or send me a text, and I'll be back in just one minute. Back in the early days of the car business, one man or woman, usually men though, owned one dealership. And something happened in the 80s and the early 90s when dealers started consolidating, and there were some big corporations that were formed. One really was the biggest. It was called AutoNation, started buying up dealerships. And it was a corporate, it was publicly traded stock on the New York Stock. Well, it might have been on NASDAQ. I'm not sure where it's traded, but they started buying dealerships 
and a bunch of other uh, corporations and even a lot of individuals started buying multiple stores. At one time, I did it on a very small scale, got up to where we had five dealerships, and uh, then we decided to break things apart and, and separate, and now I own well, it's basically two dealerships in one, a Ford store and a Nissan store. But I'm a dinosaur. Large dealership groups are swallowing up dealers like me. You know, you can't take somebody over unless they want you to. You know, if you fall on hard times or something, then, you know, you can be forced to do something just to survive financially. But, uh, you know, there's no such thing as a hostile takeover of a privately held company. So nobody could just come in and buy me out. But now that's not so with a corporate, corporately owned uh, entity. Like, for example, an AutoNation store, I think in Johnson City, uh, that Friendship bought them recently. And, and Friendship Group has, has grown significantly. Mitch Walters and his Dustin and, and that whole family has done fantastic as far as growing their business. But, you know, you think about somebody like AutoNation, a company like that, they own 260 uh, dealerships. Uh, they just got surpassed this year for the first time by a company called Lithia Motors. They own 296. You know, there was a dealer in East Tennessee that came down from Michigan, and he bought a dealership in Morristown, Tennessee. And that was his first store. His, uh, his store was called East Tennessee Nissan. Now, they have recently sold that store, but it's not because they were getting out of the car business. Um, great success story. Uh, they now own... 52 dealerships. Last time I talked to the owner, I think they had, now he, again, he was from Michigan. His first dealership was in Morristown, Tennessee. Now he owns 18 Honda dealerships in California. Uh, they have expanded very successfully. And that is, like I say, a big trend on car dealership. Is that a good thing for a local community to have a huge corporation own a car dealership? Well, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing, especially if that dealer wasn't doing well. And now they are doing well and generating tremendous sales tax revenue for the community. So, you know, it's not a bad thing. It's just that when you try to get in touch with somebody and you need help, sometimes you're dealing with a corporate ladder, and that's not always good. But if I can ever help you clear up any type of circumstance that you're having with your car, whether it's buying, selling, trading, getting service, whatever, I'm here. Call me, 423-552-2020, or send me an email to Lenny Lawson 2020 at gmail. Dot com, and I'll see you on the next edition of My Car Guru.